This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by Rock Jumper Worldwide Birding Adventures, specializing in top quality bird watching tours with experienced professional guides to over a hundred destinations around the world. The American Birding Association is proud to join Rock Jumper to offer an ABA tour to Tanzania in 2018. Join us for hundreds of birds, iconic mammals, and amazing culture and scenery. For more information, see rockjumper.com or events.aba.org. Welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick, and I feel like it would be inappropriate for me not to mention the biggest news in the North American birding world in the last couple weeks, that being the release of the American Ornithological Society's Checklist Supplement, rather confusingly called the American Ornithologist Union Checklist Supplement. I guess they stuck with the pre-lump name for the organization for this one. This is essentially the, the result of all the potential bird taxonomy changes that we talked about back in episode 0108 with uh, Professor Nick Block. And well, you know, I think I should have Nick back in the not-too-distant future to talk about these results because some of the changes that we were expecting didn't happen, and uh, that being those splits to the yellow-rumped warbler and willet, most notably. Uh, and some of them happened that we did not expect. Um, the Nashville warbler split, which was not considered to be terribly likely, uh, it came within one vote of passage, so we were very close to uh, Calaveras warbler, and, and we may have it in the not-too-distant future. And the, the crossbill split that seemed like a long shot did go through. So so now we have a new United States endemic species. Uh, not only that, but an Idaho endemic. And, and not only that, but an endemic to one specific county in Idaho, that being Kasha County, south of Boise, that gives its name to the new Kasha crossbill. And it is uh, pronounced Kasha, not Cassia. Uh, like the pop star, not the electric keyboard company. You heard it here first, so now you can be the birder who knows the correct pronunciation. And I know how much we all love to be that birder. Anyway, I will have to have Nick back and perhaps Birder's Guide editor Michael Redder on to talk about what happened here. Uh, we'll do that in a future episode, but right now you can read Michael's comprehensive roundup of the supplement on the ABA blog. I'll have the link to that in the show notes. And you can participate on a lot of discussion about it and what it means for your list at the ABA's Facebook groups. And that is sort of a segue into what we are talking about today. The ABA's Jeff Gordon, Liz Gordon, and Greg Neese recently attended the Facebook Community Summit, where the tech giant was very interested in learning how birding culture translates to that network and how birders use social media. Uh, Jeff wrote a post about it on the ABA blog. I will have a link to that as well. Uh, but I will chat with them about their experience right after this week's Rare Birds. <laughs> This is your rare bird focus for the very end of June and the first part of July. This was a period with more than a couple extraordinary records, the biggest of which for the ABA area is undoubtedly the pied wheat ear discovered in Nome, Alaska. This is a potential first record for not just Alaska, but the ABA area. And it's all the more notable that it was found on the mainland and not on the Bering Sea Islands or the Aleutians. Pied wheat ear is a common species in Central Asia, and it typically only comes as close to the ABA area as Mongolia and the neighboring parts of Southeast Russia. So this is a really unexpected vagrant and a spectacular find. Uh, 
But that wasn't the only first record for Alaska this month. A northern Perula and Ketchikan will represent another first for the state. While this doesn't feel as amazing as the Weed Ear, because so many of us are much more familiar with northern Perula, this is still a pretty incredible record for a small bird that is primarily found in the southeast part of the ABA area. It's intriguing to think that the Perula came from nearly the opposite direction of the Weed Ear, uh, southeast instead of southwest, and potentially not too far off the same distance. And speaking of long-distance strays, a purple gallinule was salvaged from the south end of Baffin Island in the territory of Nunavut, representing a first there. This is one of the farthest afield records of this primarily tropical species. But rails are known to show up in ridiculous places, and a handful of Iceland records of purple gallinule suggest that the Canadian Arctic is definitely not too far for them. To add to this excellent run of rarities, a wood sandpiper was found in Gallatin County, Montana, representing a first for Montana and one of very few records away from Alaska for this primarily old world species. Wood sandpiper has bred in the ABA area before in the Western Aleutians, so it is technically an ABA Code 2 species, which is the designation given to range-restricted breeding birds on the ABA list, but that sort of underplays its rarity elsewhere on the continent. Most of those records uh, elsewhere are near the coast, and this is by far the farthest inland this bird has been seen in North America. And one more first to mention, a curve-billed thrasher was found near Burns Lake in British Columbia, furnishing a provincial first. From the photos, it looks like it comes from the eastern Chihuahuan population. That's the, the nominant subspecies, and I think I'm getting this right. It's Curvirostra. Uh, Curbell Thrasher is one of those birds that's always on the short list of potential splits. It was up uh, for the AOU committee not that long ago, uh, so it's worth paying attention to where those birds come from. This is just part of the rarity landscape for the ABA area in the past couple weeks. For the whole deal, visit the ABA blog, blog.aba.org, every Friday morning. And for ongoing updates and discussion about rare birds in the ABA area, check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash ABA Rare. All right, and last culture is Jeffrey here. Jeffrey, we got to hang out last night. You want to talk a little bit about identity? Well, absolutely. And um, birding, bird watching, you know, I mean, that's a, a nerd's delight. Um, <laughs> and, and I love all the different cool nerdy things that we're seeing here in the groups that are represented. But, you know, we birders really were a social network before there was a World Wide Web. And we always had this issue of... You know, we're out here reporting miraculous things. I mean, stuff that you can't believe. You don't know whether to believe. And we have to figure out, do I tell the boss that I'm not feeling well so I can cut out and go chase this rare bird that this buddy of mine says that she just found, you know, two counties over? It's, it creates some problems, but you know what? We... <laughs> We've always been good at managing it. It's like, uh, you know, golf. It's like anything that's built on trust and honor. You know who's cheating. You figure it out pretty quick. And the thing that when, when Facebook came along, you know, birders just took to it like uh, ducks to water, you know. Um, because suddenly we were able to share information so quick. Because, like, you know, birds have wings. They don't stick around. You know, so you want to get out there fast, and you do want to know, uh, you know, should I, should I stay, you know, should I go? Um, the rare bird alert allows us to make those decisions much more quickly and much more accurately. <laughs> so we're really, 
We're really grateful for that. And um, the, you know, not every rare bird that shows up is close enough for you to, you know, go see it. But the thing is, like, I get to hear, like, what all my buddies all around the country, all around North America, all around the world are finding, the everyday miracles that they're seeing in their own backyards. And that is a huge part of my day. It's a huge lift, and it means so much to so many of us, along with all the other stuff that we all have to deal with. So um, I just it's been so valuable for the American Birding Association to have Facebook groups because, as, as Mark said, how people relate is changing. You know, there used to be membership organizations and people belong to professional societies and stuff. And Facebook has stepped in and, and I think is showing us a path forward on how these communities relate. And uh, we're very excited to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. So the story of birding in the internet goes about as far back as there has been an internet. Birders are often early adopters of any technology that allows them to share information, especially as it pertains to rare birds and local knowledge. And modern social media networks are no exception. ABA President Jeff Gordon, web developer Greg Neese, and events coordinator Liz Gordon, who is making her podcast debut, I should add, recently attended the Facebook Community Summit in Chicago uh, in June to discuss how groups use that particular tool. They're all here with me now to talk about their experiences. Thanks for joining me, guys. Hello. Hey, Nate. Hey, Nate. How are you? Great. Thanks. So, I, you know, I'd sort of like to start out just by sort of getting your observations about being part of this summit. What, what was it like to be there? Uh, Liz, I'll go ahead and start with you. Oh, well, it was pretty overwhelming. You know, we had no idea what we were getting into. And, you know, from the lovely swag bags to the the facilities. The facilities were just amazing. Um, I kind of felt like I was on a bird festival because of the buses and um, all the hustle and bustle. But um, yeah, it was really, really super cool. The different groups that were there was just fascinating. Anywhere from dog spotting to, you know, really terrible diseases that were people were dealing with. Um, and creating community around those to give support to these people that had them. It's really neat. Yeah. Jeff, what about you? What did you, what did you think about the, the way that the, the, the summit was sort of, sort of put together? What, what was your idea of what they were trying to accomplish with it? Well, um, you know, like Liz, I, I think we all kind of wandered into this and we hoped it would be cool, but it was immediately apparent that this was an operation on a, completely other scale than we were thinking it might be. And it wound up, you know, I mean, we knew Zuckerberg was going to be there, but we didn't, you know, it's like a lot of the top brass were there. Unfortunately, Sheryl Sandberg wasn't there. She had another thing to be at, but she, you know, sent a video. Um, the company changed its mission from making the world more open and connected towards, um, bringing the world closer together, I think, or something very close to that. You know, just to realize that, you know, Facebook and Facebook's leadership are really thinking that the kind of interaction that is happening in these groups, including groups that the ABA administers, are exactly the sort of interactions that they want to foster and that they are kind of correctives to some of the 
the things going on on the platform that they've seen that they have not been thrilled with. I am extrapolating a little bit, um, admittedly, but um, you know, I think the message was clear that, and and, and you know, of course, with everything Facebook does, there's a business motive. I, I think they're feeling like the communities are a place where the kinds of behaviors that they want to foster are are happening, and um, and they really want to throw their support to this kind of interaction and maybe maybe move it a little bit away from the the more open-ended newsfeed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Greg, how did how did Facebook even choose the ABA? Um, <clears throat> well, it uh, there was a a, a pop up that showed up one day when I was um, on Facebook, and, and I think we all saw it at some point, um, meaning anybody who's a group admin. And it just asked if you were interested in attending this summit, and it was that simple. Enter your email address, um, and then we'll get back to you. Um, and of course, the name of the group that you uh, represent. So I, I filled out that simple form, they got back, um, they wanted a short essay about the group, and the one that I wrote about was the ABA Rare Bird Alert. And then they followed that up with an hour-long audition. And I've done a couple of these auditions before, and it wasn't, it wasn't an interview. Like it, it was definitely an audition. So just kind of getting back to what Jeff was talking about, I think that a big part of the summit was for them to meet us. They want to know who are these people. I mean, these groups are a huge part of Facebook and a, and a very growing, important part of Facebook. And now, of course, they're their new mission, but they don't really know who we are. So they they picked they picked a couple hundred of us um, to come and and meet. As Jeff and Liz said, it was a really phenomenal event. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would go so far as to say, you know, all of us are sort of involved in the the ABA's group that that the groups are, are you know, probably the, one of the most redeeming aspects of Facebook. You know, they're, they're a lot of fun to, to engage in. And I'm sure, you know, you guys can, you guys agree with that. I know that we've talked about that, you know, off offline. Absolutely. Um, so the ABA has these these groups, a couple of which have, have really caught on, that being our the Rare Bird Alert group and the What's This Bird group. Uh, the first being a place where people can share information about unusual birds, vagrants, and the What's This Bird, where, where people who are not necessarily aware of the ABA can come in and get their photos, videos, audio files identified, uh, kind of crowdsourced. So these groups sort of have a, a smaller goal to kind of you know share rare birds and and help people identify birds, but there's also this larger goal of promoting birding. Um, how successful do you think that they they are at doing that? Oh, I think I think Facebook and birding just go together. It's it's phenomenal because you know birders like to share pictures. They need to talk about birds and sightings, and it's it really is a, a the perfect medium for bird watchers to share this kind of information, you know, getting new people in. I, I know what's this bird is kind of a, uh, it's really close to my heart because when I first saw my first painted bunting, I didn't know I could go look up a bird book in the library. Um, I knew I didn't have one. 
I need to look for somebody that could tell me what that bird was. And I think somebody being able to go to Facebook and say, hey, you know, I saw this bird. What's this bird? I think it's important because I don't think a lot of people even know there are such things as field guides. Right. And and how are they going to know to get one if they don't know they're there? It's like, you know, model railroaders. People don't know that there's model railroad magazine, you know. Unless you're in the world, you don't know about it. So it's um, it's a it's a it's a very effective tool for reaching out to people. Yeah, you mentioned you had an experience um, there at the community summit where you had you had people who were not involved in the in the birding community, but who were able to take some of these ideas and and apply them to other to other aspects. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, at the first night's dinner at the end, and of course we were some of the last people out because we were just so fascinated by the whole process of this this group meet, and got on the bus, and this fellow sat next to me, and I said, hey, aren't you one of the, the speakers, and, you know, pays to read the handouts people give you when you're involved in events like this, and sure enough, he was one of the, the speakers, and I just got to talking to him about, you know, why we were there. And and his father had been bird watching just like the week before for the first time ever. Oh, really? And his dad came home and said, hey, son, I'd like to buy you a pair of binoculars. I think you'd really like this bird watching thing. And it, the guy's like, nah, nah, dad, really, I don't, <laughs> I don't want binoculars. And I was like, what? I'm like, somebody's offering to buy your binoculars, and you, you have to take them. I said, because you never know when you're going to see your spark bird. And he's like, what? He's like, what's a spark bird? I was like, that's the bird that first sparks your interest and makes you want to look for them more. And like my spark bird was the painted bunting. And he was like, oh, interesting. And it turns out his... Um, seminar was about creating like languages in your group so that people can speak the right lingo to be able to, to communicate yeah. better. Yeah, birders are good at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I go into his talk and I'm sitting there and he's like, um, is anybody here from the, the bird watchers? And I raise my hand and, and he proceeded to talk about the spark bird, which was, you know, super cool because it was us he was using as an example and turns out he used it in every one of his presentations and I talked to him later at the end of the thing and he said I hope that he didn't mind but he was going to use that from now on in all his talks that's great and, and he called his dad and said I want the binoculars oh great yeah, happy ending. <laughs> yeah, it was super, super cool. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else could happen to me, that was that was the that was the pinnacle. Maybe you were his spark bird. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth. That's right. Um, so, do do you guys think that that Facebook is particularly well suited for for sharing this sort of birding information, or is it or is it just that birders are are really good at appropriating whatever is the sort of the trend at the moment? You know, I know that, you know, birders may be the only community around that still uses listservs. Uh, is Facebook like that? Or do you think that there are aspects of Facebook that really lend itself to to sharing bird information? And I, I'll throw that out to anybody. 
Well, this is Jeff. I think a couple things. Yeah, I, I, I do think as a community, we have leveraged or used the technology uh, available to us uh, to the best of our ability. If Facebook has some special advantages, I would say, number one, it's critical mass, like just that there's so many people on it. And then the the photo and multimedia sharing capabilities have, you know, just upped the ability for us to evaluate each other's claims. And finally, I think I think maybe the key thing um, to me that's that's made you know, a, a lot of these listservs and everything else, like they could get pretty acrimonious and certainly Facebook can get plenty acrimonious. But I just think the fact that on Facebook, you, you know, people generally see your face or maybe your dog's face or your kids or whatever. And like, there's this human identity that comes along with, you know, this sort of disembodied interest in birds. And I think that brings a lot of the you know, sort of in real life community of birding into the online experience. Those are things I would point to. And, you know, like a lot of us were thinking that Twitter would become the ultimate birder social media tool. And it, I would say in the U.S. anyway, you know, Facebook is is really out ahead. I mean, birders use Twitter, but Facebook just really seems to have hit a sweet spot. Well, and I, I think... Um I think Twitter just doesn't have the capacity. Birders like to talk. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to discuss like the differences in uh, shorebird tertials patterns, you know, in 140 characters, yeah. <laughs> or or even or even how awesome how awesome it was that the mama cardinal brought her baby to, to the feeder. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, getting back to what Jeff was saying, I think another part of what makes Facebook so successful with birders is it's kind of a one stop shop. You know, before Facebook, right before Facebook, birding forums were very popular. And it, it functionally does pretty much the same thing, or did, they did pretty much the same thing that Facebook does. You've got an identity, you can share photos, you can share files, you know, there's groups, subgroups, and all of that. But the difference is, when you are in a bird forum, that's all you did. Facebook, you can go in one-stop shop and share pictures of your kids, talk to your aunt, check out bird sightings, and get into a political fight. <laughs> it's, you can do all of this in one spot, and I think that's, that's really been the thing that's truly different from the other mediums that that birders have used right you know greg i was kind of brings me to my next question you know we both of us come from sort of a blogging background you know there was a time about 10 years ago when when blogging sort of had its its day in the sun uh it seemed to have been subsumed a lot of that energy was subsumed by facebook and that so how do you see the differences between those those two the communities that like surround those two mediums and, and which one do you prefer oh i like i, I think i like both Equally, um, and I think you're right because you know blogging was people just sharing thoughts and ideas um, ad hoc. I mean that's what a blog was. Blogs have now, like ours, turned into more of a digital magazine. I I think that's just that's just sort of the the natural evolution, and and. I don't really, uh, and I, you know, I think that they're, they're evolving and moving in separate directions, becoming separate species, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think that each has its place. 
birders are not always, you know, one dimensional. <laughs> and to have all yeah. those things that, that that Greg mentioned about, you know, politics and kids and family and we're well-rounded people for the most part and we do have more than one interest and um you know being able to have all that in one place makes a big difference looping back to you know sort of your previous question i think this is is partly what is on facebook's mind too different people can connect in this pretty intense way through like a birding group and then they can interact around other things like politics or I mean, it just, it, the same as it's always done again in real life. Um, once you establish that, that credibility, that trust, that kind of uh, mutual dependence um, in some way, it just becomes easier to have other kinds of social interactions and transactions. And yeah, I think it's a tremendous strength um, that, that Facebook offers. That said, there is something wonderful about like a, you know, a deep dive on a blog into something and it's very, very curated. It's not messy. You still need people to create that uh, content that everyone is sharing on social media. Right. And then Facebook makes that much easier. You know, you're, you're creating content in smaller pieces and you're tending to get massive feedback on it. I mean, I think those of us who were bloggers, you know, it's like, wow, uh, it was a heck of a lot of work uh, feeding that beast. And, uh, you know, often (laughs) for very, very little uh, interaction. But yeah, there's some great stuff on blogs. But uh, so Facebook certainly seems to have found a way to eat up an awful lot of that territory. Yeah, I think it really um, helps their sustainability too. You know, I think a lot of us remember social media platforms that didn't quite have the reach that Facebook did. And I think as long as they continue to kind of diversify their mission into things like groups, you know, there's always going to be groups of people with similar interests. Um, I think we can all remember the first time that we've, you know, found other birders online. I know for, particularly for young birders, that's such, that's a huge thing. And it, and it helps, helps people stay on it. It's, it's going to allow Facebook to sort of continue, which would be, which is nice, you know, it'd be a shame to lose all that content that's there already. One of the cool things I've I've had kind of is I made friends with these women that were um, in charge of a group for Appalachian Trail hikers, and I have a, a friend from Space Coast Birding Festival. You know, her it's, she's a mom and a young birder that were doing the Appalachian Trail, and I suggested she get on this group, but she's already been on there for a while, and so you know our our two paths are now crossing because I joined the group and, and it's just kind of cool to, to know that I have this friend that's now friends with other new friends and it's just, you know, kind of building on itself. Um, so, so what did you all come away from this summit knowing that you, you didn't know before about, you know, how, how birders and, you know, by extension, the ABA can, can use these tools. Um, I'll go ahead and start with you, Jeff. I, th- I think the most exciting thing for me was feeling that um, we we really have an opportunity to get out beyond our normal audience and you know build that proverbial bigger tent. Just the reception that we had, the, the ABA, the birding community, the whole idea of birders on Facebook. The, the wider group just picked it up so well and so readily. That was super energizing because, you know, a lot of the folks there, I mean, it was a very diverse 
uh, inclusive kind of audience and including, you know, some groups that, that birders have, uh, you know, traditionally struggled to reach and, and seeing like, wow, you know, there's, there's a real interest here and a real, um, you know, there's some sharing that can occur. That was terrific. You know, I think just realizing there, there's just something very cool. I mean, I know all of us on this phone call, we, we put a lot of effort into trying to make these spaces that are, you know, safe and reasonably friendly and supportive and, you know, are moored in a degree of truth and honor and everything else. And, and you know, then to walk in this room and have like Mark Zuckerberg standing 10 feet away from you saying, well, we really appreciate that you all are working so hard to build, you know, community spaces. That are, you know, <laughs> it was just like, wow, you know, I mean, like the, the wider world um, is, is kind of paying attention and, and sort of, you know, uh, resonating uh, with what we're doing. And, uh, and I think, you know, figuring that, wow, we've really made some inroads here and let's think about ways to keep doing it and doing it better. You know, I think one of the, the things that was also kind of obvious is um, that, you know, Facebook as a, as a product, as a platform is um, it's evolving organically. And, and I don't, I don't think five years ago, three years ago, hell, maybe even last year, uh, that, that Mark Zuckerberg realized what an important part groups would be playing in Facebook at the, at the current time. It, it really has changed the way um, people are using the product and in, in a really good way. So what I, what I kind of got at the end here is that as as you know we've said from the beginning that this is this is their new push is connecting connecting the world connecting people through groups and groups were kind of an afterthought when they were first when they were first uh, created now they're they're at the forefront of of what Facebook is all about so as as group admins we have tools to to better interact with the members of the group we have tools to better utilize what we're learning um, and how we interact. So I think that, you know, from, from the standpoint of somebody who's an admin of a group, from the standpoint of the ABA running these groups with, you know, 15,000 or more people, our job of keeping those people engaged and, and keeping things moving um, is is easier and it's gonna and it's just gonna get better. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I distinctly remember having conversations with with all of you when groups were were started, and we were saying like like what are we gonna do with these groups? Like we didn't we didn't really have a plan. So it's really gratifying to see how you know the ABA has evolved to fill these these needs, and you know how Facebook has has come to appreciate that. Well, and you know. <laughs> As an admin, you know, it's, it's also, it's, it's work and it's, it's not always fun. You know, sometimes when you don't want to delete a comment because you like it, but you have to, it's hard. I mean, and, and, um, I hope people out there understand that, uh, you know, we're doing this to, to keep things focused, not because we just want to be mean about it. <laughs> Well, I mean, having the heavy hand, I think uh, I think we've done pretty 
pretty good on that. Not to just, you know, pat ourselves on the back. But, I, uh, I agree. And, you know, I think, um, it, again, it's one of the strengths of the birding community. I mean, we, uh, we want to get along. We want to work together. And we, we know that we all reap benefits when that happens. So, um, yeah, I think it's just one of these kind of happy accidents of like, uh, we were already sort of practicing a, practicing a bunch of this stuff. And, you know, it's just so funny that Chris Cox, like, he called on us during the culture part of his talk. It's like culture, birding. But, you know, really, I mean, we do have a culture. We do have a code. And uh, it's been really, really cool um, to, you know, see Facebook come along, see us kind of do our dance with it, and now to see it kind of doing its dance with us. It's just it's neat. Thanks again, Jeff, Greg, and Liz. Uh, I really appreciate you you coming here to share, you know, what happened and and where the ABA's Facebook groups, these groups that we've we've curated, ha- are, are going in the future. Those groups, once again, what's this bird and uh, ABA Rare Bird Alert? Please check them out. And um, thanks, guys. Thank you, Nate. Thank you. Good Nate. talking with you, Nate. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. In addition to our publications and deals from our partners like BBO Books, members are also eligible for ABA events held here in the ABA area and all around the world. In fact, fans of this podcast might be interested in joining yours truly for a trip to Cuba this September. Cuban Trogon, Cuban Toady, I can't guarantee Zapata Rail, but you never know if you don't try. Uh, For more information on joining me this September, check out the website events.aba.org or send an email to events at aba.org. Executive producer of the American Birding Podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. Technical production is by John Lowry with help from Greg Neese and David Hartley. John's band The Hangabouts does the music. Thanks to Samson Technologies for equipment used on this podcast. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. That's not to be confused with the Austin Belly Dancing Association. I don't know much about them except that they did not appreciate the provocative video of a red-bellied woodpecker working a black walnut that we sent them, and they were unwilling or unable to teach us that technique. Uh, that bird has some serious moves. They were not ready for that melly herpes. Questions, comments can come to me at podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>